So like I was saying, <laughs> um, goodbye, seniors. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why uh, you, it feels like we just jumped in because we kind of just did. All right. So anyway, um, but what I like to do is go through our philosophy of ministry and kind of what we do. As you guys get older, one of the things that you will start to find out if you don't do this already is that if you have no direction, you are going to go nowhere. You know, I've heard this saying before that uh, if you have nothing to aim at, you're guaranteed to hit it every time. Absolutely nothing. Um, so you need to know where you're going. And there is a purpose to the things that we do here. By the time you guys enter in as freshmen and leave as graduating seniors, there should be things that are accomplished in general in your life, in your walk with God. And we want to do whatever we can in our ministry to um, just give you guys the open venues in order to really learn how to walk with God and to exercise your relationship with God. And so this ministry is as much as you want to make it. We've had a lot of people that have come through and even some of the testimonies coming out of camp, um, which some of you guys you know, know about just from hearing some of the testimonies, uh, was the fact that uh, there was a lot of time that was wasted. There are things that should have been done that were not done. And now they're at the end and they're like, well, shoot, I should have done things differently. And my encouragement to you through all the stuff we're going to talk about tonight is don't let that be you. For those of you that are going to be seniors this year, and for those of you that are going to be juniors this year, the next year, two years, is going to fly by. But that's no excuse to stay where you're at. And so if you really want to honor God with your life, with the moments that you have, then you need to get at it. And you need to develop a plan. Because if you don't develop a plan, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just not. You need to start to analyze where am I at in my walk with God and where should I be? Where do I want to be? And maybe this is a great question for you to ask yourself. And you can write this on your paper if you want to. But this is a great question that you should be asking yourself. Where do I want to be at the end of this school year? Where do I want to be? What do I want to accomplish spiritually? Are there things that you just are insecure about when it comes to the Bible or doctrines of the Bible? Maybe one of your goals might be, I want to be able to know what I believe and to be able to open up my Bible and talk to people about it. Or maybe your goal is, I want to know what I actually believe. Or maybe you have other goals in mind, but you need to start thinking about this kind of stuff. What are one or two things that you want to accomplish by the end of this school year? And for those of you thinking a little bit more long-term, if you're a freshman or if you're a sophomore, or even if you're a junior, where do you want to be at the end of your senior year? What do you want to accomplish for the Lord by the time that you graduate? What kind of things do you want to have nailed down personally in your own life? If you never think about these things, you'll never do anything about them. And if you never do anything about them, you're going to be like some of the testimony we heard where you're going to come to the end of your senior year and you're like, oh man, I should have thought through this a little bit more. So that's why we revisit this every single year for you to understand what is the purpose of this ministry, how you fit in, and you can start to kind of see, okay, yep, I've got this nailed down. I know that I'm saved or I'm born again and I'm learning how to walk with God. Okay, I kind of know where I'm at. And you can have an idea of where you want to go. And then we have different things we're going to talk about as far as how we actually carry out this vision and how do we facilitate these things as a youth ministry. And then I want to give a biblical example because there's some things in the scriptures that have really helped me in the midst of decision making with our youth ministry and why we do what we do and how we're going to do what we do. There's been some guiding principles that have helped me that I wanted to share with you as well. All right. So to kick things off, 
We're going to talk about our philosophy of ministry, and we're going to talk about our name. So Salad. Salad is our name. Uh, this was a name that was the, uh, the youth minister before me, uh, and I loved it, and I stuck with it because I just think it's absolutely fantastic. We've changed our mission statement around a little bit just to simplify it a little bit more. But our name, Salad, means shining our light in darkness. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Our verses for our youth ministry are Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And I want to encourage you guys to do this. If you do not have these verses memorized, memorize them. You should be able to explain. Like maybe you'll get into a conversation with somebody at school or in class or even in an online format, who knows, where you can talk to them about your youth ministry. You would be, I mean, it'd be really good for you guys to know what your name means, solid, shining our light in darkness, and knowing the verses behind it. And you should be able to share that. And you should be able to know why that defines us as a youth ministry, because it really does. All the stuff that we do as youth ministry really uh, centers on these verses. And so Matthew 5, 14 through 16, I'll read that here. It says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A couple things just to talk about with this verse, these verses. First of all, God says, as his children, ye are the light of the world. That is your job. That is your responsibility. Whether you like it or not, that is your responsibility. You are called to be God's light in this world. And this world is certainly dark. And I would venture to say, even based on the current events and things that are going on right now, it is getting darker and darker and darker. Which means, as a Christian, as a born-again believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is easier and easier and easier to make good decisions. Unless you are ashamed of that light and you are working hard to hide it, or you don't have it at all. Those are the only other options that you've got on the table. You are God's light unto this world because of the spirit inside of you if you're born again. And it is your job to shine. And I think there's a lot of us that we get in the way of God shining on people for them to know who we are and who we belong to. And it's because of the choices that we make or the choices that we don't make. So you, you are the light of the world, verse 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You know, I share this story every time I go through this. I remember as a kid, there was this uh, town, uh, and it was on a lake. And we would go up to this lake every single year up in Canada, and the lake was called Golden Lake, and it's on, in Ontario. And we do a fishing trip every, there, every year as a family. And I remember that one night I was sleeping on the couch, and they had a big bay window that was, it just overlooked the lake. But as I was sleeping on the couch, I could look through the window and across the shore a little ways, there was this really bright light and it was through the trees, but it was really, really bright. And I'm like, dad, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's just a little town, maybe about 10 minutes away. Um, and then he opened up his Bible and he shared with me this verse and I'll never forget it. It was a little town and it was set up on a hill. And when the night was dark as dark could be, you could not hide this town. And I told my dad, I want to go to that town. And he's like, all right, we'll go later in the week. We'll check out that town. So we start driving later on in the week and we get to the town and we hit the town and then it was like, boom, boom. And then you're gone. Like you're right through it. Like the town was not even a mile or two miles long. And I'm like, this is it? My dad's like, yeah, it's really small. <laughs> I'm like, well, it didn't look like it at the time. He's like, that's the point. And so you may not think you can do much for God. You can. 
You absolutely can. Because from a distance, when you take a stand for the Lord and you want to do things that are right and righteous, you shine as if you are a bright, bright city, even though you're this little rinky-dink town. And so I'll never forget that. And so I love that, that illustration with verse 14. And then he says in verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. How ridiculous is it to have a flashlight, right? Your flashlight's on, but then you never use it, right? It just, it doesn't make any sense. If you were to take a candle and you were to put a bushel over it, first of all, what would happen to that bushel? It would burn. It would absolutely burn up because that's what it does with fire. So you take whatever it is and whatever your circumstances might be in your life, you know, God has given you a light inside of you and you take your current circumstances. Well, I'm afraid what people are going to say. And you put that over top because I don't, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my friends. I'm afraid of what they're going to do to me or what they're going to say or whatever it is. And you put that bushel over that candle and you're hiding that light. Well, I just want to be popular. Well, I just want to fit in. Whatever the excuse might be, we all have them. I have worked through them and I still work through them to this day. But we all have bushels that we put over the candle that God's given us and we ought not to do that. It's supposed to give light to all that are in the house, all that are in the house. And so then he concludes it with verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Say it out loud. Glorify. Come on, out loud. Your father, which is in heaven. It's not about you. It never has been and it never will be about you. The reason why we're obedient is not because of us. It's because we want to glorify God. We want to redirect their attention to him and not us. There's too many times that I don't take a stand and I don't say certain things because of what I think they're going to think about me. It's just an insane mind game that we play with ourselves. It's not about me. It's about him. And when I remember that, it helps me to be able to take a stand. It helps me. It gives me boldness to be able to do certain things, things that I wouldn't normally do because it's not about me. It's about my father, which is in heaven. But in order for them to see my father, I have to choose to do things where I'm doing good works. And when people say something about my good works, I don't accept that as something that's a a compliment to me. I say, no, it's because of my father. I mean, how many conversations have you guys gotten in where, because I know I did when I was in high school, where there were guys, my friends that were like, my goodness, you know, you've never kissed a girl or you've never drank or you've never smoked. And how many times I've said, well, no. And then I haven't told them because of my savior. Taking that next step, that's the part that we're scared about. Well, the reason why I don't cuss, the reason why I don't drink, the reason why I don't smoke pot, the reason why I don't sleep around and mess around with girls, the reason why I don't cheat on, the reason why is not because of me and who I am, it's because of the Lord and what he's done in my life. I belong to him. He's my father and I want to please him. See, that's the part that we're not willing to do. But that's why our name is solid, shining our light in darkness, because it is dark and you have to make choices in order to shine that light. You have to or else you're not going to. And I will tell you that if you never choose to shine your light, you will regret it. You will. You may not in that moment, but give it a few years, give it a few months, give it a few decades and you're going to regret it. Even if you never regret it on this planet in your life now, when your life is over, you will regret the decisions that you made to not shine that light. We need to remember that. And so our mission is to glorify God daily, walking with the Lord, 
uh, by daily walking with the Lord to see the lost saved and the saved grow. That is our mission. And so hopefully by the time that you go through our youth ministry, you can say, I glorified God because I learned how to daily walk with him. And I desired and even attempted and maybe even successfully won the loss to the Lord. And I encouraged them to grow and I grew myself. That's what I would want. It, more than anything else, that's what I want for you. I want you to be able to say that with confidence by the time you exit our youth ministry. So how do we do this? So how do we glorify God by daily walking with the Lord to see the lost saved and the saved grow? Well, it is done by these two things. Very simple. First of all, it's salvation. So you cannot glorify God without being saved. It's impossible. You cannot honor and glorify God without submitting your life to him for salvation. Someone who is lost cannot glorify God. And that's our design purpose. We are meant to glorify God. Not ourselves, we're supposed to glorify God. And so this happens first through getting saved, receiving Jesus Christ as your savior. Because only someone who has admitted that they're a sinner and really called upon the Lord for salvation, knowing that they can't save themselves, they are the only people that can actually glorify God. Go to John chapter three. John chapter three. John chapter three. I love this chapter. John chapter three. All right, verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this guy knew the Bible. The same came to Jesus by night because he was ashamed to be seen with Jesus, but he still went to him, which is good. And he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered, wait a minute. The guy did not ask a question. He did not ask a question. Yet in verse three, we see Jesus answered. So this guy had a question in his heart. And Jesus knew that question and he answered it before the guy even spoke it. I love this about Jesus. I love this about God. Because before we can even formulate our question, he knows exactly what we want to ask and he's ready to answer. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So obviously that was his question. Verse four, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This was not a sarcastic question. Like he was legitimately struggling with this. How can a person be born again? And maybe that was his question. Maybe Jesus was preaching a message prior to this and Jesus mentioned the fact that they need to be born again. And he had questions about it. And so he went in, he says, hey, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. But then he's like, but, but how? Like how, does a, how is he born again when he's old? It makes no sense. See, this guy knew the Bible, but he missed it. He missed it. And then verse five, Jesus answered his question. He said, verily, verily, just truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that is the natural birth, because every single one of us that are born into this world are born through water. That's why your mom, before you were born, the water broke in order to begin the birthing process for most of us. And so unless, except a man be born of water, and of the spirit, that means born again. So you're born once naturally, and then you're born again of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he explains the same thing. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's born of water. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That is, that is of the spirit. So marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. You know the wind, you can feel it, but you don't know exactly where it's coming and where it's going. 
Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? So he's really struggling with this. And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? And man, what a rebuke that would have been. And we find out later that Nicodemus finally got it. And he actually became a disciple of Jesus Christ later. And he was actually one of the two men that helped to bury Jesus' body and took him off the cross and talked to Pilate about burying his body. So we find out later that Nicodemus actually ended up getting it. But this is what Jesus was saying. You've got to be born again. So you're born naturally into this world, but you must be born again. And it's very simple. Being born again is very, very simple. You have a dead spirit inside of you. And that dead spirit cannot commune with God. That's why as a lost person, you can't glorify God. And so in order to have that dead spirit come alive, you have to have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And that happens according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. That is hearing the gospel, and that is that Jesus was God, come in the flesh, and he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he died for your sins and mine, because he knew that we could not do it on our own. And when we believe that and trust in that alone for salvation and call upon him for salvation then that's when God sends his spirit inside of us and it resurrects that dead spirit inside of us to make that spirit now alive. And that's what it means to be born again. And so he, he says very clearly, you've got to be born again or else you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus got that later on in the book of John. You can read about that if you search his name. So it's kind of cool. So salvation is the first thing that has to occur. And then after that, it's giving our heart to the Lord daily and walking with him. And this is something that's a little bit more difficult. Salvation is very easy. It's very easy for us to admit that we're a sinner, that you can't make it to heaven on your own, and that you need someone to save you. That is very simple, very easy to understand, and that your works cannot save you. What is harder is learning how to give your heart to the Lord daily and walk with him. And we've been talking about that over the course of the last couple months in the current series that we're doing right now called One Thing is Needful. And we're talking about how important it is to give God your heart on a daily basis. Uh, can someone do Proverbs 4, 423? Can they say it? We've gone over that like every week. Good. Now a little bit louder so they can hear you in the back corner. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Yes, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And the reality is that you can't keep your own heart. God has to keep your heart. So how do you give your heart to God? Someone explain that to me. How do you give your heart over to God and allow him to keep it for you? Anybody? How do you do it? Even if you get part of it right, we can build on it. Who wants to risk it? Okay. Praying and reading and like evangelizing and doing what he says. Okay. And I would, I would, let's focus on the doing what he says part. So I would say it's doing what God says over what you want to do. So when you're willing to say, God, I will obey you regardless of how I feel, regardless of my desires... I will submit my will to your will and do whatever you desire of me. That is someone that is willing to give their heart over to God. And that is what people have a very hard time doing. They have a very hard time doing that. And there's a lot of different things. I mean, we can talk about obeying your parents. How hard is it sometimes to obey your parents? Or should I say, how hard is it to obey your parents with a good heart attitude? It can be hard to do that at times. It can seem like the things that they're asking of you are unreasonable, and it can be a struggle. Some of you have gone through the fact where it's hard to say, you know what, I know I'm not supposed to date lost people, but I want to anyway. I know that I'm supposed to be memorizing the Bible, but I just don't want to. I know I'm supposed to be talking to God, but I just don't. 
I know I'm supposed to be reading and kind of getting into God's word and letting it get into me, but I just don't, I just don't care right now. In those moments, what are you going to do? Most of us decide to retain our own heart and struggle. But what God says is when you feel that way, yield your heart to him and do what is right. Do what he tells you to do. And when you start to do that, amazing things will begin to happen in your life. Amazing things. And so when you do that and you give God your heart, you learn how to daily walk with him, then that's when you can really learn how to pray and have a good prayer life between you and God. That's where you can really get into reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating and obeying the Bible. And that's where actively participating in the work of the Lord, which is evangelism and discipleship. So sharing the truth of God with other people and attempting to win them to the Lord and discipleship, learning how to follow God and helping others learn how to follow God through your example. That's where those things can really start to come into play. So it's my desire, and I believe it's God's too, that by the time that you become a senior in our youth ministry, you should be born again, and you should know how to give your heart to God, and you should be able to know how to cultivate a good prayer life, that you should be able to have a good relationship with God with his word, and you should be actively participating in our ministry actively, that's the key word, actively participating in our ministry and other ministries in our local church. You should be doing that. You should be able to do that with confidence. Because by the time you leave here, man, the choices that you make completely hinge on your ability to do these things. And if you're going to fall short, it's going to be very, very difficult. Very difficult. Okay, so how do we actually help you guys accomplish this? All right, so this is done through several things. And we're just going to go through a list real quick. So Sunday school. So right now we don't have Sunday school. But the plan is, is that at some point we're going to go back and we're going to have Sunday school classes. So instead of Sunday school classes um, on Sundays and then our Wednesday evening classes, we have this on Tuesday. So this is kind of taking the place for that for now. Uh, but being a part of what we're doing. You know, anytime that we are together as a youth ministry, you should make it a priority to be here when it comes to the stuff that we're doing on Tuesdays. And if we switch it over and we go back to do Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, you should be involved as much as you can. And if that means you have to sacrifice in order to be here, I'm telling you, God will honor your sacrifice. Prayer meeting and Bible study. We've already talked about the prayer groups that we want to do. Um, I'd also like to, and we've been talking a little bit about this on and off, but I want to have some Bible studies. I want you guys to have some Bible studies in your own houses that you learn how to put them together to invite some of your friends to come over where you can start to reach them and share some things, whether it's the gospel or other spiritual things, and invite them to be able to be involved in your in-home Bible study. Um, I don't know how school's going to look. There's a lot of you know mixed emotions with all that stuff and what's going on here in the fall. But that doesn't stop you from having people over to your house and your friends. You can totally do that. You, you should do that. And so if you ever want to maybe lead up a Bible study and do something like that in your home, we can talk about a strategy and how to go about that. Um, it could be as simple as doing a, a two-week Bible study in your house and just giving it a shot and seeing what happens and seeing who shows up. Uh, you could do a four-week. You do a Bible study once a month for four months. I don't. It doesn't really matter. But we've got some ideas of things we want to accomplish because you can really reach some people that will go to your house that may not come to church. Another way we do that is monthly activities and outreach events. So we are planning on once the fall hits, we want to do our monthly activities again. Um, everything just got a big giant kibosh put on everything because of COVID and all the nonsense there. Um, but we really want to start doing this again. And so by the time that school starts up again in September, we're going to have activities starting in September. And a lot of the activities that we do, we design them to be outreach events. So we want you to be able to invite people to come. 
to be introduced to our ministry and the things that we do. Guys and girls, activities and Bible study. Sometimes throughout the year, uh, depending on what's going on and how we feel about it, the girls will have their own Bible study. The guys will have their own Bible study. Um, it's nothing that's forced. Uh, and when we do it, it's usually in four to six week increments. I know the last year the girls did one with the singles and it went really well. Uh, the high school girls and the single girls got together and they did a Bible study together. And so we do that. Summer and winter camp are always big for us. And so we're planning on having a winter camp again in January like we normally do. Uh, but and we just finished our summer camp, um, you know, last week, so we ended up doing that. Uh, but those are a great time for us to get together, be together, learn and grow together, and just make some good memories, and have God really challenge us on some things. One-on-one -on -one discipleship to your student student journey. Um, if you're not being discipled, you should, and I will push that. I will shove that down your throat if I have to. That is something that you absolutely need. It is a game changer for someone to invest their life into you and your life into them and you guys walking through things together, it is, it is huge. This is probably the most important ministry that will revolutionize your, your life if you're willing to do it with the right heart attitude. Monthly Bible studies, home or at school, we talked about that already. So if that's something that you guys wanna do, we can do that. VBS and missions trips, so some of you are participating in VBS now. And what I love about VBS, and I know my story, is that God began to put the seeds of ministry inside my heart when I was a VBS leader. I mean, it started before then because when I was a kid participating in VBS, I looked up to my VBS leaders and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to do that one day. And then I got my chance. And then I started teaching and I loved it. And then I had people tell me, hey, you know, you're pretty good at teaching. You should, you should think about doing this. And maybe God wants you to do this. And so God began to put those things in my heart and my mind that later on down the road came to fruition. Being involved in mission trips. We had to cancel our Mexico mission trip. And shed a tear all collectively for that one. We really wanted to go to Mexico. We had to cancel that one. And we want to be able to go back to Mexico next year. And so we did that. Our first uh, youth mission trip was last year, and it was amazing. It was amazing to be able to see how other pastors and other cultures do the work, and it was really fun. Youth music ministry. If this is something you want to be a part of, you can talk to us about it. Um, I'm, I'm in, the, in discussions with a couple other leaders um, on how we're going to facilitate this, whether it's learning an instrument or being involved in what we're doing, but we want to kick this up again sometime soon. Cultivating real thriving relationships outside the classroom. This has been a huge weak spot for our ministry for the past three years. That you guys really cultivating good, I mean thriving relationships with each other. I have really felt that when we were together, things were great. But then once we depart, we go back to our own little lives and our own little things, our own little issues and we really did not care for one another the way that we should. And this is something that I really want to do a better job with. Um, so far coming out of camp, I feel that this has been uh, something that everyone has done a really good job with coming out of camp, and I want it to continue. I don't want it to be a seasonal thing. I want it to be able to continue into the fall as the school year starts because we've got to be able to do that. We've got to. And then lastly, anything else we can think of? <laughs> and I mean that because... This is something where if there's something that you want to do or something that, that God lays on your heart in order to really step it up and to do something that will serve our church, serve this ministry, serve each other, I want to be able to do it. And, um, and I know that, you know, Sam and I, we've talked about some different things and he came up with a couple of different ideas. A lot of the things that he brought up were just ideas that he had, but there's a lot of ideas that he's brought up where I'm like, no, nah, not a good idea, Sam. That's not going to work, you know, but we got to run through them. 
And we got to talk about them because we want to be able to choose the best things that are going to be most effective for the ministry. But I really want to do anything that you can think of if it makes sense within the parameter of our ministry. All right, so I want to give you this example, and I want you to paint. I want to paint this picture for you, and here's where we're going to end. All right, so go to Luke. Go to the book of Luke. Back when I was a um, junior high leader, um, um, my wife and I were in the junior high, and, and there were some things that God really worked in my heart. At that point in time, as I was thinking through the junior high ministry, and I was thinking about the senior high ministry, and I was thinking about the singles ministry, and and if you know, uh, they all really fit together. Um, I oversee all those ministries, and then all the way down to the nursery at our church. And so one of the things that I always want, and I'm always trying to work hard, is that the things that are done in the junior high will bleed over naturally into the senior high. The things that we do in the senior high will naturally bleed over into the singles. The things that the singles do when they end up getting married and having their own families, then those things will just continue to build. And so thinking about that process, um, I really felt like that Colossians 2, 6, and 7 for the junior high and it being named grounded ministry um, is perfect. Because I feel like in junior high, that if you could just get your mind and your heart around the gospel, if you can just understand the gospel and you can either make the choice to believe it and receive it for yourself or not, you know where you stand. And then coming into the senior high, I I relate that time of, of your life is very similar to the disciples. So in Luke, you know, Luke chapter one, you have Jesus being born. And, uh, and then after that, you get into uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, where you have Caesar Augustus, and this would be the typical Christmas story that is, um, that is told, where after he's born, you have the angels, you've got the shepherds, um, and then you have, uh, after that unfolds, he grows a little bit more, and they go into Jerusalem, they lose him, and then they go back frantically trying to find him, and here he's talking with the doctors and the lawyers and all the smart people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, uh, and he ends up going home. So he's a child at this point in time. And then in chapter 3, you have um, John the Baptist. And he goes out and he begins his ministry. And he begins to, to call everyone under repentance. And then he ends up baptizing Jesus. And you have verse 22. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven, a uh, voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So up to this point, 30 years has passed between Luke chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 3. So Jesus begins his ministry at the age of 30, and then he gives his whole lineage from verses 23 all the way down to 38, and, uh, and then you have chapter 4. So in chapter 4, Jesus really starts to begin his public ministry. And before he begins his public ministry, he's tempted by the devil out in the wilderness. But then he goes out and he begins to preach. And so you start to see this pattern because the book of Luke really gives you more of a chronological approach to Jesus' life. If you ever want a gospel that you can go through and say, okay, this happened in order, Luke is perfect for that. As far as John, Matthew, Mark, it's a little bit out of order. But Luke gives it to you in order. 
So you have chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, and now he begins his ministry and he starts teaching and preaching from city to city. And then in chapter five, you start to see that Simon Peter is now involved. Now, Simon Peter, Peter was not a disciple yet of Jesus. So Jesus is preaching and guys like Peter and Andrew and John and some of the other guys that would have eventually become disciples are hearing the messages of Jesus. So Jesus is baptized. He starts to go out and he begins to preach. And we don't know exactly how long he did, but he preached for a period of time. People began to hear him. And then Jesus goes out and he chooses his disciples. So after preaching for some period of time, he begins to choose his disciples. And he chooses his disciples in chapter 6. Chapter 6. So in chapter 6, in verse 12... It says, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples and of them he chose 12 whom he named also named also he named apostles Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew's brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon called Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James and Judas Iscariot which also was the traitor. And so now he chooses his 12 disciples and he begins to minister daily with those 12 disciples. Now, I want you to understand the whole process because it's kind of like what happens in the junior high. In the junior high, you begin to hear spiritual truths. Like, oh yeah, I understand that. I understand that. And But now that you're in the senior high, now what are you going to do about it? Because now in the senior high, I really feel like Jesus is calling you by name and he is saying, will you follow me? I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciple. Will you follow me? And so the disciples then made the decision because they would not have been disciples if they would not have left where they were to go and follow Jesus, right? They had to make a choice. They weren't forced into it. They're like, oh, well, I guess I got to go do this again. (laughs) No, they made a choice. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. James, he had to leave where he was at, his father, James and John, they had to leave their father with the nets and follow Jesus. Peter, Andrew, they had to leave their father and they had to follow Jesus. Matthew, he was a tax collector. He had to leave his booth and he had to follow Jesus. Same with all these guys. They had to just follow Jesus. When he called, they followed. They made that choice. And some of you guys have not made that choice yet. And you know it. But that is the senior high ministry. Is Jesus saying, hey, will you follow me? There's things that I want to teach you, but you need to follow me. You need to follow my example. I want to teach you different things, but you have to make that choice. And then as you start to work through the Gospels, you find out that, man, the disciples did stuff that were pretty dumb. (laughs) Didn't they? Name me some dumb stuff the disciples did. Go ahead. Yes. He pulled out a sword and he cut a dude's ear off. And believe me, he wasn't aiming for the ear. Right? Okay. Like denying Christ three times when Peter does that after he says just earlier that he won't. Yes! Peter's like, Jesus, I will go and I will die with you. And then he turns around and he's like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, tell me that is not high school. (laughs) Is it not high school? I mean, that is, we are walking contradictions. We get fearful at times, and so did Peter. What else did they do that were stupid? Yes. Okay. So I love this story. So Jesus is going by and there's people in the city where they're like, yeah, Jesus, we don't want you. And James and John were so mad. They're like, 
God, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and just destroy the whole town? Just like, um, I came to save men's lives, not to destroy them. (laughs) Again, high school. (laughs) Very zealous, but knowing very little. Okay, what else? Yes, in your kingdom, can my son sit on the right hand and the left side of you, both on both sides? And then there's another account where it says that the mom wasn't involved, and they even asked personally. So yeah, hey Jesus, you know, in your kingdom, great idea. So you're going to be sitting on your throne. I think that your left and right hand would be perfect for him and I. (laughs) Or, mom, we're too afraid to ask. Can you go ask? Total high school. (laughs) And Jesus is like, yeah, no, those those places are, are reserved for who it's prepared for. And they're like, well, who's that? And of course, he didn't answer that. So, and then they just kept going. There are so many things where the disciples were like, yes, we did great things. Why can't we do this? Let's call fire down from heaven. No, that's not a good idea. I mean, just all over the place, all over the place. That is high school. I feel like your, your time in high school, this age right now, is a perfect time for you to take steps of obedience and sometimes take risks Fall on your face because you are just utterly stupid in some of your decisions. Learn from them. Get back up and say, okay, how can I follow him better? Because here's what's going to happen. And because this has happened in my life. I've made some dumb decisions in high school. And now that I've grown past those, I look back on that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have never done that. And God uses that in my heart and in my life today. And he used that even in some of the illustrations that I give you guys, even in how I teach. Because I remember what it was like when I was your, when I was your age. So this time is absolutely critical. I and mean, even when you take a look at the last few chapters before Jesus died and from John 13, 14, 15, 16, I mean, Jesus does a great job trying to prepare his disciples for what's coming and knowing that they don't understand it all, but eventually they will, but he's about to be crucified. And that's where he's like, you know, soon, guys, I, I mean, the enemy's going to come. I'm going to be crucified, and you're all going to run. And Peter's like, no, we won't. never will. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> and then all the rest of the was like, yeah, we're going to follow Peter. And then they all ran. They all ran. Every single one of them ran. Now, John was the first one to come back, and Peter was the second, but Peter was still ashamed because then he denied God three times after that. So he tries to prepare them for what's to come, but they make a bunch of mistakes. And so now's the time in your life where, you know what? If there's any time to make mistakes, it's now. Because when you become an adult and you make mistakes, it gets a whole lot more difficult to clean things up. And the mistakes that you make then are a lot longer lasting. So after that happens, so the disciples, their personal choice of faithfulness after Jesus was betrayed, so they all fled. Peter and John were the first to return. And then John was the only one at the at the only disciple of Jesus' crucifixion. So John was the only one that was there all the way to the end. And eventually, uh, the eleven of the disciples returned, and Jesus prepared them for their mission to reach the world. And the disciples were very successful, and they were very very faithful. And so, as I think about that, there's a couple pictures that I've used in times past where these three ministries go very very well together. So grounded, you begin to sprout up, and you start to have some roots. But really, it's during this time in high school where you begin, your roots begin to really develop and go down deep, that now you're solid. So first you're grounded, but now you become solid in what you believe because you're willing to shine your light in darkness. And then moving on, now is the time where you can really seriously bear some fruit that will glorify God in the single focus ministry. And so that's where you fit within the grand scheme of it all. 
because by the time you guys leave high school, you're going to be starting to make some major decisions on where am I going to go to school, my future career path, the person that I'm going to marry. And I'm telling you, outside of your salvation, the two most important decisions, number one, salvation, but your second most important decision is who you're going to marry. You mess up on that one, it could change the course of your whole life. Your whole life can be completely altered by the person that you marry, for good or for bad. And then after that, it is your career. Those are the three most important decisions that you will begin to make during these years of your life. Because you're going to marry the person that you're going to be looking for. So what are you looking for? Are you looking for the right things? Are you willing to wait for the right things? That's critical. What does God want you to do with the rest of your life? Maybe you've thought about what you want to do, but have you ever asked God, God, what do you want me to do? Because he designed you, he made you, he put you together in your mother's womb. He knows exactly what he wants you to do. So have you talked to him about it? Have you asked him to make it clear? And how are you going to do that? You need to have a biblical foundation. Because without a biblical foundation, how are you going to know what to look for in a spouse? And how are you going to know what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life to glorify God? Because you don't even know how to glorify God now. So this ministry is absolutely critical. And it breaks my heart when people choose not to be involved in our high school ministry. It breaks my heart when people choose not to be involved in our junior high ministry. And it breaks my heart when people choose not to be involved in our singles ministry. Because it is critical. It is absolutely critical. You will get out of this ministry whatever you put into it. If you put your heart and soul into it, you're going to get your heart and soul back. And probably two, three, four, five times more. Because God will teach you so much. This isn't a place just for you to go to church and to be a part of something. That's part of it. But this is where you get to glorify God. This is your ministry. And so I hope you guys don't squander it. I really do. Hope you guys take advantage of everything that we've got. Okay, so that is our youth ministry and why we do what we do. So now we've done all that. Any questions? Maybe about what we do, why we do, why we do what we do, anything. Why you done do that? I don't know. <laughs> anything at all? When am I going to shave? I have no idea. <laughs> don't shave. What now? Beard. Yeah, only the brows. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 There you go. You know, I do got a picture of him somewhere. I can take a look at. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So we are officially done. We're going to pray here in a minute. But, um, but honestly, guys, you know, I put my phone number up there. I put my wife's number up there. Uh, if you guys have your phones with you tonight, please go ahead and do that. From some of the information that we have gotten from you guys, we'll start to add you guys to group me um, so that way you can be involved in some of the nonsense that occurs in group me. Um, although Jack's gone. That's right. Yeah. Karen's gone. So anyway. But that's where we do a lot of our stuff. But seriously, I have said this so many times and I'm going to keep saying it until people really start taking advantage of it. Um, we live in a day and an age where I have found that most seniors, teenagers do not take advantage of what we have here at our church. 
and you guys do not take advantage of us enough as leaders, um, even just to get advice about stuff. Uh, don't ever hesitate or feel afraid of asking us our opinion about things. Um, I know that some people feel nervous about doing that, but I will tell you, at least my approach, is that I have general thoughts about you know things in general, but every time that I hear someone asking me counsel on certain situations or this decision or this thing that they're thinking about, I always try to think through it from their perspective and the circumstances surrounding what they're going through. And it doesn't always come out the way that I might just answer it right off the bat. But I really feel like this is a time in your life where you need to be asking questions. You need to be seeking counsel. And I really feel like most teenagers do not take advantage of us as leaders enough. You just don't. And so I want you to. I want you to be able to. Don't ever feel like that you're bothering us at all. If you are, we will tell you. Um, but in love, of course. Where's Andy? Andy's not here for a reason. Um, so that's why I'm saying this now, because when he comes back, I'm just kidding. Um, kind of. Uh, so, but I mean that with all my heart. I really do mean that because I really want you guys to be able to do that. Um, because we are definitely here for you guys for anything. And I mean that for anything that you might need. All right. Okay, let's close it in prayer. Who wants to pray and close things out for us? We don't. Yes. Ethan, go for it. Dear God, thank you for the day you've given to us and this time we're getting to spend together and meet. And just thank you for Stephen and using him to just preach your word tonight and just tell us all how to be better Christians and to make this youth group really go somewhere and give us a good rest of the night. And just thank you for the message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.